You're listening to The Broken Meeple, a show devoted to board and card games. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. The Broken Meeple, episode 14, Know Your Limits. Welcome. On today's show, I'll be giving my first impressions of the space opera epic known as Twilight Imperium 3. My discussion topic for the day will be based on can you own too many games? Is there a limit to when you should stop buying games or should you just carry on for their timeless nature? And my top 10 list for the day as by popular vote is top 10 essential expansions to games. I am your host Luke Hector and I am also known as Gigazor from Kina Tokyo. Hello and welcome to the show. It's good to be back in the chair recording another session. Um, I apologise for the fact that the blog and YouTube channel has not been overly active lately. There are two reasons for this. One, it has been a very popular week social-wise. I've been going to a lot of clubs and playing a lot of games. So that's been generally the case on that front. And secondly, is because my old equipment, which was a Panasonic camera with uh, the Yeti microphone, wasn't doing so well with terms of audio and visual quality in my videos and even on the podcast it was noticeable that there was an issue that needed to be resolved. Now the podcast I'm still using the Blue Yeti microphone but I'm changing the way I set it up, changing the settings and hopefully this will be the optimal way of doing it. I have been getting some advice from a friend at one of our clubs who's a bit of an expert when it comes to sound recording and he's been telling me for ages to get a lapel microphone which I tried a cheap one it worked horribly and well obviously I needed to buy a better one so if this doesn't turn out to be to everyone's sort of cup of tea then I will certainly consider grabbing a lapel microphone and trying to learn a bit more about sound mixing it's just a topic area that I know very little about but the new equipment I've got which is a Panasonic uh, yeah, we're going still with Panasonic. A Panasonic G, no, sorry, X920 camcorder with a Rode VideoMic Pro shotgun microphone bolted to the top of it has so far been producing pretty good results on the YouTube video tests that I've been doing. I've actually got two reviews done. I've got Sentinels of the Multiverse and Tales of the Arabian Nights actually recorded, so I just need to edit those, and soon they'll be up on the channel for you all to watch, as well as more videos in the future. So. Please bear with me, I thank you for your patience and the channel and the blog because I will be doing some written reviews as well during this month. I will be getting content back on the site. It's just been a bit of a a long-winded transitional period so um, thank you for just bearing with me on that front. But otherwise it's generally been quite a good session of buying far too many games (laughs) which I seem to be doing a lot of at the moment. But I seem to have reached a point now where I don't need to buy any major games right now. It's pretty much just expansions and waiting for the new stuff to get released. Um, I had obviously to... I had a bit of a mission to fill up my expedite unit by the end of the year. And because I only got into gaming to a proper standard last May, I essentially needed to catch up on some games that had been released in the last decade that were pretty good. And I've sort of reached that point where I've got the vast majority of the ones I want. Although, depending on what I find from games that I have yet to play, that may change. Who knows? But that's enough with that. Uh, like I say, the blog and that is going to get back into content. So is the YouTube channel. And so's 
pretty much the content in general. The podcast is still regular bi-weekly, or reasonably bi-weekly, you know, give or take a few days for me to record and edit it. But generally, the content's still coming and the games are going to be a bit more varied in terms of what's available. But for now, let's get on with the show. We're starting off with first impressions of a giant epic game, Twilight Imperium 3. Twilight Imperium 3 is about as epic a space game as you can get. It is known for its just sheer length, its sheer complexity, the amount of decisions you make, the amount of components. It is. It comes in a giant box and it is just regarded as, whether it's regarded as the best space game ever is re- subject to debate. But it's certainly regarded as the most epic of the lot and I don't think anything comes close to being as epic as Twilight Imperium 3 is. This is a game that can take you at least minimum six hours to play, and you're talking longer when you're playing with maximum players and when a lot of them are new to the game. But I'd been wanting to play this for so long because it's anybody who watches the Dice Tower will have heard Sam Healy go on and on and on about this game, and it as soon as I heard about it, I thought, hmm, this sounds like my kind of game and I want to give it a try. Problem. Not many people own it, and those that do, it's very difficult to get this game onto the table. This isn't something that you can just take to the airport with you when travelling. It's certainly not even a game that you can just bring to the club and randomly pull out. This isn't a game that you have to set up as an event. You have to plan ahead for this and pretty much use up most of your day on the weekend in order to get it ready and play with people. So the only person I know who was willing to do that was my friend Graham, who had it in his collection, had not played it for at least a year, but really wanted to get it back to the table. And now that we have played it again, he wants to get it back to the table relatively soon. However, this is wife permitting, obviously, because most of the time when you set up this game for the day, you are basically telling your wife, "Um, yeah, I'm not going to see you for the whole day. I've got stuff to do. So it's one of those weird games in that sense. But Finally, we got to play it. Six players, so and five of us, no, four of us, had not played it at all. One of us had played it a long time ago, and obviously Graham was the only other one who had played it before and knew sort of what he was doing. We sat down, we got all the components out, took us a while to get the bits and bobs sorted and choose a race randomly, that kind of thing. And obviously there was a lot of rules to explain, but eventually we got started and wow it's you're not joking when this is epic this thing has got so much that you've got to think about each turn you begin by choosing one of eight strategy cards ranging from trade to politics to production to technological advances that kind of thing warfare and you end up having to make already start making a lot of decisions about which one you want to use in the round because you will get the primary action of whatever you choose but it also has a secondary action that other players get to do at a slightly greater cost so not only do you have to think oh do i need the main ability of this you have to think well do i want to give everyone the secondary ability and then you might also be thinking well i could use this but i could just deal with it as a secondary action i don't need it like primarily as part of my turn so you can end up with a bit of ap for that phase of the game in order to decide on that but it's just because there's a lot to consider and obviously we were new to the game Once that's done, you've then got all your various actions like producing ships, moving them across space, uh, invading planets, battling with other players, playing cards. There's a lot you are doing in this game, but 
and when it when it's set out it looks great granted i mean the miniature is a good plastic it would have been nice if they were unique to each race or sort of like different things like that but i suppose with the sheer amount of races that there are now with expansions that would just cost far too much money and that's probably a bit too much to ask but they still look pretty good you've got all these different varieties of ships that you can build and the map is a randomized hex layout so you've got planets asteroid belts supernovas uh, space pirates you've got a central planet that everyone likes to get into a massive cluster battle over and obviously you've got your home world to begin which varies depending on your alien race all the alien races are very unique they have starting different starting setups they also have special abilities that are unique to them i think i ended up with the baron the baron of letnev i think that was the uh, name or something similar it was letnev basically so i'm sure anybody who's played the game will know who they are I wasn't particularly impressed with this race. I mean, I didn't like their backstory. It was kind of like nobody really likes them or trusts them. Their trade agreements were pretty rubbish. Their ability wasn't bad, but it wasn't great either. I'd heard a lot about this race, but I think I was getting confused between Twilight Imperium 3 and Rex. Because Rex, the Letnev, are quite nasty in that game. But in this, I just felt a little bit underwhelmed with them. I, I really wanted to choose uh, Hakan, I think they are, which is effectively uh, Space Lions. <laughs> you know, the guy on the sheet looks like Aslan. So, I mean, why why would I not want to play a space game where I could play Aslan in space? That just sounds great. That sounds awesome. So, <laughs> I want to. next time I play this game, I am choosing my race, and I am choosing that race because I want to play Aslan in space. It just sounds weird, <laughs> but great as well. But we had a few other weird races as well i believe what do we have i group it's hard to remember the names because they've all got very unique and flavorful names and each race has got a page full of backstory on the back to describe them so it's quite it can be quite a mind bender trying to sort of get into the theme but it's worth it because there's a lot of theme in this game i believe neil next to me was playing the universities of jolsar i think they are they they're, they're the technological advancing ones uh, another race was one that was very good at drawing political cards and action cards to use. Uh, another race was fairly good at doing was fairly good at doing trade agreements, but it wasn't the Hakan Lions. Like, I wish I could remember their names, but it it's just complicated to remember them all. I'd have to look them up again. But I mean, in the end, you've got like eighteen plus races to choose from because he had both expansions for this game, so you've got a lot of races to choose from and it just makes for a really varied experience now the game itself i i really enjoyed it it's it is a long one yes it took us about seven and a half hours to finish and it certainly was an epic one my only beef with it is that we got we did a lot of combat we did a lot of sort of sitting around and producing ships there was a lot of decisions to make and we were really involved i just felt that the end was a little bit anticlimactic you've just spent seven hours playing the game and the ending is basically someone drew the end game trigger card and they had the most victory points and win. And that's it. That I was a little bit bummed out with. I just thought, well, couldn't we have ended with a much more climatic fight or, you know, a bigger rush to the finish line or something like that? And it just, I don't know, it seemed a little underwhelming for it just to simply be, oh, this card came out randomly from the deck, therefore the game ends. It's, that's my only beef. I mean, obviously the length is another consideration, but then you have to go into this game knowing it's an epic. It's not a casual game. 
So that's fine. And I like long games if they're involved and make a lot of decisions. And Twilight Imperium 3 does get you making a lot of decisions. Uh, and we didn't even use every single rule in the game. I mean, we left out artifacts, which we're going to bring in next time. Uh, we left out the sort of Galactic Council Political Senate, I think they're called. You know, so we'll probably bring that in next time. So there's still more stuff to look forward to. But even what we had to begin with was still quite good going. Um, we certainly need to set up the map properly though because i think we just i think obviously because it takes a lot to set up we just got graham to set up ahead of time and the problem with that is that the map was completely randomized and we ended up with a ton of planets on one half of the board so it made life for the other three players a little bit more tricky particularly poor graham who ended up in this area which pretty much had a gravity rift and nothing else it was <laughs> somewhat hard for him to get any planets but you know that's a small niggle and in the end it was still enjoyable you know all of us had a good time uh one of the more non-gamers of the group actually won the game in the end so that's quite good you know you don't have to be a born again gamer in order to do well at this game and it just worked really well i want to play it again i would happily whip it up next weekend and play it it's just obviously i don't own the game and i'm the only single one out of the group which means that trying to get six people together for a massive seven hour player epic when everybody else has got spouses married with children that kind of thing it's like I seem to be in the minority here. Honestly, here's a tip for you. You know, don't don't get married, don't have kids, and then you, and then you can play games forever. Okay, you're probably not going to agree with me on that one, but it certainly does make life a bit easier in my current stage of life. Not for the one to try and to find a missus, but that's another story. So, first impressions, I really like the game. It's it's a cool game. It's just it's really long and I felt the ending was a little anticlimactic, but that might have just been that game. Maybe the next game will differ when we've got more stuff added into it. Maybe now that we sort of know what we're doing, we'll play the game and not make so many mistakes, that kind of thing. So it certainly was a good taster of what that game is capable of. And I want to play it as soon as possible. So Twilight Imperium 3, it was worth the wait. discussion topic for this podcast is can you own too many games this is a topic that came up in a recent club meeting for Portsmouth on board where we were discussing the fact that I bought quite a few games lately because I tend to tweet or post on Facebook when I've acquired new games and obviously like I said before I've had to catch up on the last decade worth of games so I have been buying quite a few and one game I bought recently was through the ages and that was just an accidental eBay bid I didn't think I was going to win it I just thought uh, for £40, it's not a bad deal. It's a game I would like to try. I like Civilization games. Uh, well, 40 quid. let's just see what happens. And I bid on it 10 seconds before it was about to finish and ended up winning it. So, it's like, whoops. <laughs> so, that ended up as another game, which I need to sort of play in that. Although, that does give me the opportunity to play through the ages and compare it to Nations, which I've also recently played and liked. So, that seems to be a popular topic. So, I'll sort that out at some point later in the month, hopefully. Maybe in April. And... But I have been buying a lot of games, and my unit has still got a lot of empty cubicles to fill. I mean, I bought the Expedite unit from Ikea just shortly before they discontinued it, and it's 5x5, and I'm looking at it right now, and I'd say that half of it is full, or I say half of it has got stuff in it. Two of those bits are actually baskets with accessories and sleeves and bags and stuff in them. But there's a lot of empty space, particularly on the bottom shelves, because obviously I've put stuff on the top first to show off. But yeah, there's a lot of space. There's room for a lot more games on this shelf. So getting it filled by the end of the year, 
It's going to involve buying a lot of games. But here's the thing. We were discussing at the last club whether it got to a point where you just thought you've bought so many games you could never get them to the table. And with the guy who runs Portsmouth on board, Ed, it's certainly a case that he's been considering because I've been around his house and played some of his games. He has two giant wardrobes full of games and then some. He's got a lot of games. I mean, great, I'd love to have the same type of collection. And, you know, he lives with his uh, girlfriend at the moment who plays a lot of games with him. So it's a pretty cool setup from my from my uh, perspective. But it's he's even he's got to a point where a lot of the games he's had, he just hasn't been able to get to the table because there's so many of them and you only have so much time in your life to play them. I mean, it's all right for people like Tom Vassar who get to play 3,000 games a year. But even he has the problem where even though he owns about 300 games in his collection, it's hard to get them all played because he's got to review all these other games and people have only got so much time on their hands. He's got a family of, what now, six or seven kids now. Um, So it's quite tricky to just get them all to the table. And you might find that it'll be you could not play a game for an entire year. We said Twilight Imperium 3. Graham had not played it for a year and some people say, well, was it worth buying it in the first place? Well, yes, it was. In the end, a game, a board game is timeless. You play a PC game and it will eventually get dated. You'll complete the game, there won't be much more to play, or you might not play it for a while and then suddenly the next hotness comes out and suddenly you don't like the old one. Board games don't suffer from that problem. A board game is as good as it is when you bought it. It is still as good as it is when it's later on in life. As long as you haven't got bored of the game it's still going to be fun. And it won't get dated. I mean, let's face it, chess. I'd still enjoy a game of chess. How old's that game now? We're talking, what, a couple of centuries? No, more than that even. Yeah, that's way too low. Chess is a really old game. And, you know, I would happily play chess, and that's certainly not dated, is it? But then there's other games. I mean, Through the Ages, for example, is a relatively oldish game. You know, that's not that recent. And people still enjoy playing it it's ranked number two on board game geek so it's still popular even though it's an older game and if you bought it at the time it came out i'm sure you probably still enjoy it now which is a good like f- seven odd years plus and i wonder well, i'm not going to get it off the shelf now to find out the exact publication date but it's certainly not that recent and even i've i must admit there are times when i think Ooh, I bought a lot of games. Will I be able to play all these? But again, they're going to last for a long time. And if it gets to that point where I think, oh, I've got too many games, then I'll just make more time to play games. It's why I like playing games that have solitaire variants, you know, like co-ops, for example, because co-ops can have a lot of solitaire variants. And it means I can get the game to the table, even if, unfortunately, people I know are busy or not enough time for them. So it doubles quite nicely in that sense. Obviously, I have got some very meaty Euro games like Terra Mystica, Agricola, Caverna, uh, Nations even, that's fairly meaty, you know, and ones like that, which you're not going to get to the table very often, but they're going to be fun when you do, and it's worth it for that. You're When you buy a game, you're not necessarily just buying a one-off, you're buying an investment in a game that's going to last you for years on end, it's going to look good, it's going to be full of nice little components that you get to manipulate and that, it's not dependent on you having the latest technological PC or something like that, and, you know, when it does get played, you know, it's going to be fun, even if you only get to play it a couple of times in a year, it will be fun, you can play it a couple of times in the next year and in the next year, you don't have to pay any extra for the game, you know, just expand the ones that you want to play really regularly, 
And in the end, some people collect games just because they are a good collector's item. And I suppose I'm getting half into that way now. I mean, I like to take care of my games and ensure they look in good condition. But it is inevitable that corners will scuff or components will get damaged and that. It's just the way that things go when you have board games. But I try to keep them in as good a condition as I can because I want them to look good when I get them out on the table or when they're sitting on my shelf. And to be fair, I'm looking at the unit now. It looks pretty good even with the cabinet only really being half full so there's room for more games yet and i suppose it's because it's a big hobby in my life i want to get more games and i will try my best to get them to the table i attend two clubs already i've got friends who want to play games and i try to invite them around and who knows where life's going to take me in the future it may come to a point where i meet someone who also likes board games in which case there's two of us to play all these board games over and over again I suppose that would be the ideal situation for me. I mean, I I meet a lot of people who have got wives who are happy to play games with them, maybe not to a serious extent. You know, I mentioned uh, Ed, who runs our Portsmouth board group. You know, he and his missus like to play board games a lot, so that's kind of an exception, really. A lot of people I meet will have wives who aren't that into board games or might play the odd board game with them, you know, not desperately into it. But... You know, that would be fine for me as well, even if they just liked it a little bit. I suppose I wouldn't get on that well with a girlfriend who really, really hated board games and wouldn't want to play any of them with me because that, I don't know, that maybe that would just get a bit boring. But anyway, this is a gaming podcast, not a dating site. So I, I just think that you should know your own limits. How often do you play games and how much money do you have as a budget? If you've got the money and you want to buy the games because you know you'll play them at some point, it's worth doing it because some of them will go out of print quickly. You might think, well, I don't really want to buy the game now. I'll buy it a bit later on. But then it might go out of print and then it'll be hard to find. And then, well, you should have bought it earlier. At least you bought it so that when it goes out of print, you still got it. And some games will even appreciate in value to that extent because once they're out of print, if you decide that you have got bored with the game and you want to trade it on, somebody's going to have it. You know, there'll be a buyer for it out there somewhere on eBay. But I'd rather not have to sell it. I'd rather buy a game and really like it. So that's just the way I run. But you just know your own limit. If you think that you only play games ad hoc, you know, you don't think you're going to play them that often. And uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, if you just think that it's just a casual thing for you, then you don't need to buy many games. Just buy five to ten games that you really like and stick with that. That's a good enough collection. It will work for you. I suppose if you've got a family, you might want to buy a few more because kids like board games generally. So there's a lot of stuff you could play as a family out there. But if you're a hardcore gamer, then is there really a limit? You like games. You will buy a lot of games. That is your hobby. Me, I would would I consider myself a hardcore gamer? Well, by intent, yes, because I want to buy a lot of games. I like playing them, and I could play them and play and play them, you know, constantly. But by experience, no, because obviously I only got back into the hobby properly last May. Before that, it's just been a case that I like RPGs, miniature games and the odd board games with the family and stuff like that. So I enjoyed them, but I was never like collecting them or really learning more about them. So it's for me, I reckon there's quite a few games I could get yet to buy. It's you preparing for later in life. You know, I'm going to be playing more and more games as time goes on. Uh, this, this year is going to involve quite a few conventions now so I mean we've got the mini stab which is a sort of basic Southampton one that goes on every now and again uh, there's the UK Games Expo in May I'll be going to that's three days of gaming there um, I can bring some titles along there 
And in the end, it's not necessarily a case that you have to think, oh, how many games should I own? When you go to these clubs, you're playing games that other people own that you didn't have to pay for. You know, somebody brings along this really epic game, you know, Twilight Imperium, for example, right? Graham owns it. I don't need to buy this game because he owns it. And the only time I'm really going to get to play it is when he's playing it as well. So why do I need to buy it? But this is a game that costs like £60 or so to get the uh, basic game. And then to get the two expansions on top, you're probably looking at at least uh, 120 quid to acquire everything that's Twilight Imperium 3 related. And that's a fair amount of cash that someone else has had to shell out for the game. Yet I still get to play it. So even if I've bought a game that doesn't get to the table very often, chances are I've played someone else's game that has an equal and sort of a similar outlay for it, you know, doesn't get to the table very often. But I didn't have to pay a penny for that one. So it sort of makes it, money makes itself up for in some way. You know, it's kind of a weird way of looking at it, but it's kind of how I justify acquiring games in the collection. For every game I buy that doesn't get a lot of play, I get to play somebody else's game and that didn't cost me anything to do. So, yes, it's not a cheap hobby, but it's certainly cheaper than certain other games. I mean, Games Workshop, whoo, I used to play miniature games, and that sucked the life out of my wallet trying to get orc armies up. And then you've got collectible card games. I mean, I do one collectible card game, and I'm trying to tone that down a bit because CCGs for me are just getting too much of a money sink. And even certain... You know, Games Workshop games will be a money sink. This is a Magic the Gathering, for example. That's a massive money sink for anybody who's involved in that. So I'm trying to tone down CCGs and anything that's a major money sink uh, and stick straight to board games. So that helps on the money front. But in the end, like I say, know your limits. If you're a casual gamer, don't buy so many games. If you're a hardcore gamer, then this is probably not preaching to the choir because I'm sure you've got your own mindset about what your limit is and you know what you're doing. If you're a compulsive collector of games and you do realize that you have bought far too many, then maybe just take five for a little bit and see what games come out because there's so many good games. So I can understand why you would buy a lot of them, but you have to be able to balance out how much spare time you have, how who you know that wants to play the games, your own budget, and essentially what you want to get out of board games. So there's a lot to consider, but I just think... I'm going to keep collecting games. I reckon when this unit is filled, I would never need to buy another unit and stuff it for the games because I just don't think I would play that many games so often. But I reckon this unit could get filled and I could certainly find a use for all the games. Maybe if necessary, I'll just invite more people around more often than just play games like that. So one way or the other, I'll get around it. So that's enough to discuss on that topic. Know your limits. Can you own too many games? Potentially yes, but I'm sure you have your own mindset as to how what is your limit. Okay, on to the top ten. This list has been again done by popular vote. Essentially, what I'm doing now is I have a list of topics that I'd like to do as top tens, either because the Dice Tower has done them or because I want to do them myself. And I go on Board Game Geek and I post a thread in the podcast and blog section uh, whenever I'm deciding on the next podcast topics. And I usually give out three different ideas for a top ten, and I get the community to vote. Because in the end, I want to do this show on behalf of gamers, so why should it always be what I want to do? 
So I've been putting the vote up this time. Uh, I think this time it was filler games, overrated games, and expansions. And expansions was the popular vote. So I'm I've got my top ten of expansions to games, and I would call these essential expansions. I would say that this is a game. I'm sorry. This these are things that. If you have bought the original game, you should seriously consider getting this game when you purchase the original. You know, or it may be a case that you think, okay, I'll just stick with the base game for now, but very soon you're going to think, yeah, it needs expanding, and therefore I recommend get this particular expansion. So it's a mix of the two in there, but you're probably going to be surprised on a couple of choices that aren't on this list, and there are certainly one or two choices on this list that I bet no one is expecting because I've not seen them on anybody else's sort of top 10 expansion list. So I'm hoping that some of these things will be quite a good surprise for some of you. But enough of all that, let's make a start. Top 10 Essential Expansions. Number 10. Number 10 is a light expansion for a co-op game that I own in my collection. It's a co-op game that I've been wanting to buy for a while, but only got to buy sort of mid-January but as soon as I bought it I knew that I wanted this particular expansion and I've yet to review it but a review will come in the future at some point and so far I've been really liking this expansion it ups the complexity of the game to not too high a level but it certainly gives you more decisions to make and lots more variety in how the game progresses and this is Ghost Stories White Moon. White Moon adds a new mechanism to the game where in your village of nine tiles, you also have villagers that need to be rescued. There's usually, I think, three on each tile to begin the game. They're all part of different families, and some families have one, two, or three members. If you are able to save all the villagers, and by that I mean you have to get to the portal at the centre of the board and drop them in through it, then you can get special artefacts or you can get bonuses that help you against the ghosts. However, obviously this is ghost stories. This is a game that slaps you silly when you open the box lid. So it's not going to be as simple as that. When you lose villagers, if you lose a whole family of villagers, then you get a massive negative on your party as well. So you have to not only get rid of the ghosts, but you also have to make sure that villagers don't get devoured. And, and essentially it adds a nice level of complexity that isn't too complex. You know, you could teach this game to non-gamers relatively easily, although maybe I'd still recommend just sticking with the base game so that they've got the gist of how hard the game is first. But I've tried it in a couple of solo games and it really does work well in solo mode and it certainly has gone down well in the couple of group games that I've done with it as well. I'm not a huge fan of looking at the other expansion, the uh, Black Secret or whatever it's called. I think that changes the game a bit too much for my liking, so I'm probably going to avoid that one. But Ghost Stories White Moon is a good solid little expansion and I would it's sort of, I wouldn't say it's necessarily essential, but it's certainly a worthy upgrade, which is why it squeaks into the list at number 10. Number 9. Number 9 is an expansion where, again, I wouldn't necessarily call it essential, but I would say that it will do a good job of making the game much more varied, and eventually you're going to want to... Variation is where this game is key, and you need to up it at some point. There are tons of expansions to choose from with this franchise though, so you would have to consider ooh, which one of those is the best one to get first. Well, if you were looking at my themed month in October, I told you which one of the of the expansions was the best one to get first, and that's Arkham Horror Innsmouth expansion. 
Innsmouth is a large expansion for the game, which adds a new board with a new mechanism in it. It's set in a, I think it's a remote fishing village where you've got these deep one enemies, which are kind of like murlocs from World of Warcraft, I keep uh, describing them as, but they're effectively fish people, but they look really cool and really horrific. Um, It's got some very good mechanisms like a track where if the... If the track fills up too much by monsters escaping and that sort of thing, then eventually you end up losing the game outright. It's like, oh god, a a lose game trigger as if the game wasn't hard enough. But you can go to that map and use clue tokens to send the FBI in to raid the village and buy you some time. So it's quite a cool little, like, mechanism that does come up quite often, unlike the Dunwich Horror, which I thought didn't really pop up that often. Innsmouth also adds a lot of new Ancient Ones and a lot of new Investigators, more so than I think the other large box expansions do. So if you're getting a little bit bored with the original game and you need to think, right, I need more Investigators, more location cards, a new board, basically ticking all the boxes as to what an expansion should do without making it too complex, then Innsmouth's a really good choice because the mechanisms in Innsmouth are relatively simple to follow. There are some really cool investigators in there the board is very good for Innsmouth I like the sort of water feel and how you have to uh, you've got aquatic locations now and it just it looks like such a gorgeous board and I really like the Innsmouth look uh, mechanic in it as well which is if a encounter card tells you to draw a card you've got a deck of 10 cards where nine of them say you're all right and one of them says you are you've got the Innsmouth look you've turned into a fish man and you are devoured So it's really tense where you've got this 10% chance every time you draw from that deck that you are going to turn into a fish man and die. It gets even better when you've bought Miskatonic with it because Miskatonic adds five cards with various different effects that sometimes get you to draw multiple cards from the deck. So it ups the chances. But Miskatonic is only for when you've bought many expansions, which is why it's not going to make this list in a million years. But I'd say that if you've got bored with the basic game of Arkham Horror and you want a bit more variety, I think Innsmouth's a solid way to go for upping the variety to a good level where you might be able to wait a while before you bought your next big box expansion. Number 8 The expansion for this game, I mean this game is a popular one amongst gamers everywhere. Anybody who has not heard of the Settlers of Catan who is into board gaming, seriously needs to get out there and do their research because the company who makes this game will not let it fade out of your subconscious. They are going to make sure that you know the name Settlers of Catan wherever you go. And for Settlers of Catan, the base game for me is a little bit vanilla and a little bit... It's alright, it's good fun, but there's some balance issues whereby wool, which is one of the resources you can trade, is rarely used. So if you end up with a stockpile of it, it's just like, shut up, just keep your wool, I don't care, I don't want any, you know, if you've got any brick or wood, you know, that's what I really want right now. And it's also, you're stuck on the same island, and if you're in the middle of the island, that's great, but if you're on the outskirts by the sea, you tend to get a little bit screwed over, because there's only so many chances you're going to roll a die and get resources. So my essential expansion, and I would say this is essential actually, but it's one of the, it solves a fair few problems. But I would certainly say that Catan Seafarers expansion is the way to go, because what Seafarers does, it still keeps the game relatively simple, but it adds extra islands that you can have on the outside of the board 
where you can build ships and sail to in order to get resources on other islands and find gold and such and such. There are some scenarios that help teach you this aspect, but it makes wool so much more useful now because you need wool to build the sails in order to sail across. And it means that if you are on the harbour settlements on the edge of the island, you're no longer screwed over because you can get points by building the ships and settling elsewhere. So it adds a nice dynamic to the game, and I just think this is really as an essential for Settlers of Gatam because Cities and Knights is fun, but it adds a lot of complexity and is nowhere near essential to the game. Traders and Barbarians not essential; that's just a modular expansion. And even the newest one, Explorers and what's it called? Explorers and Pirates, I think the last one is called. It's okay, but again, that ad- that basically makes the game slightly different. And to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of it. So I would say that with Settlers of Catan, grab Seaside when you buy Catan. Don't get the, like, the five to six player thing because you shouldn't really play this game with five to six players. But just get Seafarers and enjoy the fact that not only can you settle on your original island, you can now go off and explore, which just adds a new enjoyable level to the game. So that's Catan. C-Set Ferris. Number 7. Number 7 is an expansion to a highly popular co-op game. And this is a co-op game where when I reviewed it, I had to build myself a safe room to go in it. Because I didn't give the game a great deal of praise as much as everybody else does. It's not to say I don't like the game, but I don't really class it as a co-op game. I class it more as an abstract game with a sort of co-op-y theme to it. And I still like it, but it's not one that I pull out extremely often, and I don't think it's like the best co-op game out there, especially not in its base form, and that's Pandemic. Now, the expansion I'm talking about is not on the brink, which is what people are probably expecting. My essential expansion for this, I say, is In the Lab. Now, In the Lab, again, is a modular expansion, and there are one or two bits in it that aren't essential at all which is like being able to play it solo which you can already do anyway so i don't see what the point of that was and obviously the team game aspect is a bit weird in it but i don't mind it i can take it or leave it the essential part though is the lab board the lab board makes the game so much i'd say it makes it harder in the sense of trying to beat but it just makes it so much more thematic because the original game you are going around the world curing diseases and when you get to a city and a research station, you want to cure a disease, you just play five cards of the same color, job done, the end. Which just doesn't really seem that climatic when you're doing it. I mean, it's, it's a fun game, but just going to an area and playing five cards, it just seems a little bit meh. You know, nothing purely thematic in that. In the lab, though, ooh, does it rank it up to a good level. In the lab brings out a lab board, which has all the cubes that you get off the board go can go into there. Uh, well, some of them anyway, not all of them, sorry. And you don't just simply play five cards to cure a disease anymore. Now you have to have this little mini game on the lab board where you separate cubes from each other. You've got centrifugal uh, displacers. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know their proper names. But, you know, you can double up on certain color cubes. You can separate colors from each other, that kind of thing. And you're trying to get them across this lab board to the end where you've got a diagram that shows how much of a particular cube you need in order to find the cure for a disease and it's not just simply you need yellow to cure yellow you might need a mix so you have to be careful with how you run them through the lab board to make sure you've got the ones at the very end yes you still have to play a couple of cards in order to 
cure the disease. But you've gone through this really cool lab setup in order to get to that final result. And that, for me, just brings the game out a lot more because suddenly you actually think, not only am I going around the world and trying to contain the diseases, I'm also a scientist in a lab processing all the uh, samples of cures. I mean, it feels like you're in a, you're basically in the film Outbreak. You know, so <laughs> half of the cast in the film are going around containing the disease and the other half are in the lab trying to find a cure and it it brings the theme out to such an extent that i think you should get this game um this board with the game as soon as possible especially if you think that the original was too much of an abstract so for me that's number seven pandemic in the lab number six Number six is a relatively small expansion, but it does a lot to the base game in introducing a new phase and a a certain level of strategic depth as well. And that is Seven Wonders Leaders expansion. I've got both expansions for Seven Wonders and I admit Cities is quite good, but I don't think Cities is by any means essential. I think that is a good expansion, but you could get by without it. Leaders, on the other hand, you've got age one age two and age three where you're drawing cards and age one is mainly just get resources and get set up so there's only so much you have to consider and then in age two and age three you start actually doing something with them with seven wonders you add a new phase before every round which is employing a leader and leaders will give you bonuses for certain types of strategic paths that you might take they might just give you base victory points they might give you extra resources that kind of thing and there's a lot of variety in them now Before the game starts, you have to draft which leaders you're going to have out of four cards that you're going to see. And the great thing I like is that now there's a new level of strategy where you're thinking, right, well, I've got those leaders, so should I go for that type of resource and that type of card throughout the game? And you might think, well, that basically tells you how to play the game. Not necessarily, because not every leader forces you to play that way. You don't have to employ the leader. You could just build on build them under your wonder as a free card. And you could just sell them for free gold and the savory. So you don't have to use it as that. But now you have a path that you can think, right, in age one I should be aiming for this type of thing. Especially if you have chosen that. And depending what leaders you get, obviously the game doesn't always go the way you want it to in terms of what cards you're going to get. So you may have to still change your tactics. But leaders just adds that extra level, making age one much more prominent in age and giving you some ideas as to what paths that you could do. And obviously, the other players, the flip side of this, though, is that the players that are against you are going to know you've got these leaders. So you're going to think, oh, I know a minute, he's going to want those cards. I better deny him those cards when I'm choosing what I'm drafting as well. So it just adds that really cool level. And it's not that expensive an expansion. It's only a... 15 odd quid expansion something like that so it's not particularly huge but it just makes the base game of seven wonders that much more in depth cities is great to get once you've got leaders and it is a good expansion but i would nowhere near call it essential it adds more cards and adds a couple of extra boards and mechanics but it's nowhere near essential i'm looking forward to the new babel one though that's coming out later this year i'm hoping that that's going to improve the player interaction side of the game and put all those naysayers who diss the game based on that to rest So hopefully that will be worth it when it comes out. But for now, if you're going to get Seven Wonders, I recommend you get Leaders as well. That's number six. Number five. 
Okay, number five. Now, the bottom five of this list was actually quite difficult for me to do in order to get the order and think of what was going to go in there. But my top five, easy. I knew exactly what these five were going to be and I knew exactly what order they were going to be as well. We're going to start up. This is a little bit of a cheat. Technically, this is two expansions you should get. But it's you could get by with just getting the one, but I think to make the full use of it, you should get the other one as well. And they're not expensive, so it's worth getting the two. So minor cheat there. But this is Cutthroat Caverns. Cutthroat Caverns, the base game, is still pretty good, and there's a lot in it. But the expansions as they came out all added new stuff, like um, special item cards, event cards, uh, different styles of characters that kind of thing and obviously more encounters but the essential expansions that i think you should get is you should get fresh meat and then bolt on relic and ruin with it now fresh meat has again more expansions but the two biggest things that it has is one it has a big box to store all your expansions in and it's a great insert you can get every expansion into this game without trouble and it just works so well. It was needed because if you had the base game and then just bought the expansions one after the other, you had trouble fitting them into any of the boxes and you would have lots of them around. Fresh Meat gives you a great big long box with proper inserts for all the cards and it just works so well. It's so much easier to get the game out and put it away. It works a treat. And I've even pimped out slightly by getting one of those uh, like fish tackle or Plano boxes for you in the US into the game which hold all the tokens because there's a lot of tokens in this game and most of them you won't even use unless a specific encounter comes up so i was able to fit a small tackle box in there which holds all the tokens separated out for when i need them so it just really helps me speed the setup of the game the reason i say get relic and ruin on top is because there is space for event cards and item treasure cards and the main expansion that brought those into play was Relic and Ruin. So you're going to have empty spaces in your fresh meat box if you don't get those cards with it. Technically so did Tomes and Treasures or whatever it was called. But that one added only a few of the cards in. And it also added the sort of campaign style books. Which are okay but I've yet... You know I, I, I'm not a huge fan of them so I don't think they're essential at all. Deeper and Darker just added more cards. Nothing major. So I would say definitely get Fresh Meat and Relic and Ruin for that extent. On top of that, it also makes the characters much more varied because Fresh Meat brought in the characters with varying skill sets. Because before you just had generic characters with 100 hit points and no abilities, so it was a bit didn't really care, didn't really matter who you picked. Now though, you can choose to have pre-built characters with reputation cards that basically are special abilities that only that character has. However, having special abilities costs you hit points. So you're making a weaker character but giving them cool abilities. But then there's also a reputation deck where you can essentially build up your own character. So no longer are you restricted to only having pre-built characters you can just customize your character and for the people who are really hardcore into this game it works a treat so that's number five cutthroat caverns fresh meat followed by relic and ruin it's a slight cheat but trust me it's worth it number four Number four is a recent expansion that I have reviewed for one of my most popular co-op games. Flashpoint Fire Rescue is a really great co-op where a team of firefighters is going into a burning building, saving victims, and 
the fire being random as to when it comes out means that you can't puzzle the game out. You have to react to what's going on. So it's very tactical, which is what I like in games. I much prefer tactics. With the exception of Civilization games, I prefer tactics to strategy when it comes to my games. And Flashpoint does a great job. However, the base game Flashpoint does have fairly boring plastic miniatures. And the house, yes, it's a double-sided board, but it's just a bungalow. It's nothing majorly exciting. And you may find that after a while you get a little bit bored. Not bored, but you think that you want more variety. Now, there were mini expansions that came out for these, which help. But the... And we've just had Dangerous Waters out, which is effectively another mini-expansion. But I recommend that when you buy this game and you've played it a few times, you should head over and get Extreme Danger. Extreme Danger is the first big-box expansion for this game, which adds a double-sided board, again, where you've got a mechanics garage, which is set out very differently from a house, even though it's one story. You've got a two-story lab building, which is an interesting dynamic to the game. But you also get supplementary basement and attic boards, which you can bolt on to any of the boards that you've used before, particularly the garage and the lab, to create all sorts of different varieties of buildings. You can have a garage with an attic, garage with a basement. You can have a lab with the two stories that it has and the basement. Or you can do what I did with one game that I teach where I bolted the attic on and there was a three-story lab building, which meant that it was a really different dynamic to the game because all of a sudden those... You know, you had you've got three stories, and trying to run from one story to the other in a, in a hurry is not easy. But it's not just the boards; it came with these really cool sort of plastic pewter min- miniatures of the firefighters themselves. So each firefighter had its own unique miniature, which was great. We were sane after the first game was bought that we wanted this kind of thing, so they kickstarted it with extreme danger, and it ended up in the game as a pledge goal. It works great and they look great. So you can even paint them if you're into that sort of thing. Me, I'm not too fussed. And the rules it adds, you know, it's some great rules as well. You've got ladders now that you can climb up the stories because obviously you're going to need those. You've got hazardous materials. You've got uh, explosive objects like cars in the garage that if they get too damaged, they blow up with massive explosions. Uh, You've got fire doors. You've got floor damage you know if you've got the basement you can actually fall through the floor (laughs) you know it's there's a lot of really cool stuff in that game to make it more thematic yes it makes the game a bit more fiddly but i think if you know what you're doing with this game and you've gotten a little bit bored with the base game this is a great expansion to get it just adds a lot of new really cool stuff to the game and improves on some of the components as well i do not regret getting this expansion at all i have taught it to friends of mine who like the original game and then i showed them this one and they like it even more so i have to highly recommend this expansion extreme danger for flashpoint fire rescue my number four number three Okay, my number three is probably not going to be a surprise to many people. This has pretty much been on every single top 10 expansion list I have ever seen. And if it's not on the top 10 expansion list, I bet it's because they just haven't played the base game. Because this is a very this is a very essential expansion. However, is it the best expansion? No, because there's two more to come. But this is Kingsburg to Forge a Realm. Kingsburg's a very cool worker placement game where you you have 18 advisors and you roll dice to place to use the advisors but depending on what you roll depends on determines what advisors you can use and you have to decide for whatever combination of the numbers you've just rolled which advisors you need to use there and then whilst also blocking off other players now the base game is is good 
but it could do with some expansion you know you've only got five rows of buildings of stuff you can make they're all the same each game and there are one or two extra additions that could be made to forge a realm though makes the longevity of this game shoot through the roof it really is a good one because it's modular it has a new way of determining uh, combat strength which i think works slightly better it makes it less um less random it also brings in event decks which you know some people can take it or leave i pu- i personally love event decks because i just think it varies the game and you have to again think tactically when an event comes out it's got character powers so you can choose a character at the start of the game which gives you an ability that only you use which i think is really cool as well and but that's not even the best modules the best modules though are the new building boards previously you had a static board with five rows of buildings that never change from game to game now you have a revised board which has seven rows so you already have more buildings to try but now you get additional rows on top of that which are separated um, strips of card with all the buildings on it they look good and they have good components but you can give a couple two or three to each player and they can choose to replace some of the rows that they've got with the some of the rows that they've just taken so not only do you have a variation in the buildings that appear in every game, you can actually have your board set up in a way that only you can do. You might originally have had like Watchtower, Castle, Prison, that kind of thing that everybody could have. But then you decide, no, I want this row. And you replace it with your own. Nobody else has taken it. And suddenly you've got a unique set of buildings that only you can benefit from. And the variation with this game just goes mad when you add this expansion in i don't think there's any module in the expansion i don't like it's just got so much good stuff in it and a lot of other podcasters and reviewers agree with me as well if you buy kingsburg you should really get to forge a realm when you buy it i don't think there was any major sort of balance issues in the base game that this one fixed but it certainly just adds a lot more longevity to the game so it's worth getting if you buy kingsburg that's number four Number two. Number two, I would call essential mainly because, not because the base game really required it for balance or anything like that, but just because the expansion is so good. It really just makes the game so much better, as if it already wasn't a great game. And this is one of my favorite worker placement games already. So if you were listening to my last top 10, maybe you've got an idea of which one this is and aren't surprised to see it on the list. But this is Scoundrels of Skullport for Lords of Waterdeep. Lords of Waterdeep is a great worker placement game already. There's no balance issues. But my issue with the original Lords of Waterdeep is that the cards, the intrigue cards and the quest cards seem generic across the board in some respects. And the lords, like your special goal that you're aiming for, are fairly generic as well. Most of them are just get four points for two different types of quests. Skullport, though adds in more stuff which just completely makes the game much more varied it adds more quests with more interesting mechanics and sort of ways of you know resources sorry getting resources and rewards and even some penalties for some of them the intrigue cards are much more varied there's some really interesting effects in there that interact with the other players more and you've got extra buildings which again are really varied so you've got all these different types of buildings no game will ever be the same again because you'll have so many buildings to go through and on top of that it adds a really cool corruption mechanic which is a resource that appears on the new cards and intrigue cards and 
it's on the board where you could get better rewards if you go to these particular action spaces or because it adds two extra boards of action spaces as well again much more variation but if you complete these particular quests or go to these spaces yes you'll get more rewards but you also have to take a corruption and corruption is re- represented by these really cool little blue skulls that honor on this board and as you take more off the board the negative value of each one increases and this is a group thing so it's a group board so if the entire group starts taking loads of corruption they're going to be worth a lot of negative points at the end of the game so you might think i desperately need those resources but can i balance that out with the negative points i'm going to suffer for taking too much corruption and yes you can get rid of corruption it's not the end of the world if you've got it but certainly you are going to have to really think hard about whether taking too much of it is worth it i mean you could go mad on corruption but unless you've made good use of the resources you got from it you're going to get penalized and it just adds a new dynamic to the game where you're having more stuff to think about and because when you use both expansions together because technically Skullport, Scoundrels of Skullport was a modular expansion. It had Undermountain and Skullport. Undermountain was just a board with action spaces and some cards. Skullport was board, cards, and the corruption mechanic. There is no reason why you would use one individually. You would always use them both, and I would always teach this game with corruption and both those boards in. You don't even need to just teach the base game. When you use both boards, yes, you have to play by the long rules, but you also remove cards from the base game out of the box because obviously you would end up with too big a deck in that so you get rid of a lot of those cards that were a bit generic in the old game and you're playing with all the really cool new stuff and even the lords the new lords are pretty varied as well you've got some that like getting corruption you've got some that like any quest you've got some that don't care about quests at all now you know you think they want to do other things like build make lots of buildings or do very specific lines of quests so you know there's a lot more variation in the game and every time i teach this to people who have played lords of Waterdeep, they think i want scoundrels of skullport it just really makes the game so much better the corruption mechanic is great the cards are much better i mean the book i love the original board game i think the original lords of Waterdeep was great but this one just brings it up to a whole new level and again quality box quality insert yes okay i have chucked away the original insert and it hurt to do that because it's a very well designed insert but it means i can get all the components into the base box if you're not the sort of person that likes to chuck inserts then keep both games both have got great inserts you're just going to have to carry two boards around so that's your decision to make really but scoundrels of coldport makes my number two it just really enhances a quality game to a whole new higher level of quality it's really good scoundrels of skullport my number two and finally number one so my number one now this is going to be the biggest surprise on the list i don't think any of you out there saw this coming and if you did if you were able to guess what my number one is even at this point I'm pretty impressed and I'd like to get to know you better because that's some pretty good deductive thinking there. But this expansion is one that most people will not have even heard of because it wasn't sold as a boxed expansion. It was sold as a print and play expansion. But what it it's official. It's not like an unofficial expansion. It's official and it was designed by the guy who did the original game. But it was print and play only because it was a prototype to begin with and then it became proper print and play and then they just never got round to printing it as actual proper boxed expansion. But this one fixes a lot of balance issues in the original game. 
It takes out a lot of the fiddliness, but it also adds some extra things that you can do on your turn, some extra races, that kind of thing, and simplifies the rulebook to an extent because the original rulebook wasn't great, but it makes now a rulebook that is so much easier to understand. The game I'm talking about is Empires of the Void, and the expansion I'm talking about is Key to the Universe. You can find it on Board Game Geek. It's a print and play. There's not much to print out, and I've printed it out and laminated all the bits for it, so it all works in that sense. But it it enhanced the game so much more when I got introduced to Empires of the Void, because this is one that you would teach to new players, because the rulebook is written better. But it adds extra actions you can do. You've got more races, but faults of the original game is that there were some balance issues with some of the cards that you could get the event cards and also the sheer amount of tokens in the game was ridiculous i mean you you had too many tokens of various ships so spamming was a major issue but you also had issues where the tokens you use for the tech trees just so fiddly because you had to take a token for a particular tech you researched. There was no easy tech tree to look at. And you just grabbed them whenever you wanted. And you just had tokens and tokens everywhere. And it just got really fiddly. I couldn't imagine wanting to play this game where I had all those tokens. Key to the universe though fixes all of this. It tells you to take out certain components from the game. Such as a couple of unbalanced event cards. A couple of the um, superfluous tokens for ships to balance that out so you can't spam like crazy and it also removes all of the tech tokens which is a shame because they're nice looking tokens but it removes all of them and replaces them with a nice simple tech tree chart that works properly even has additional text on it so you've got more variety in there but all you have to do is when you learn a tech put one of the credit tokens on it and it's in front of you on a nice easy to understand sheet no tons of tokens everywhere it's so much easier to organize the balance issues are resolved. You've got the extra races, which is great. And in addition, you've also got a secondary action board where once you've taken your main actions for your turn, you've also got these little mini secondary ones which can boost income on planets, move ships again, uh, use resources for tech that you haven't got, sorry, that you've got on different planets, that kind of thing. And it just adds a lot more variety of the game, but it simplifies not, well, not simplifies, I mean, the game is a fairly light game anyway, but it just makes it so much less fiddly, so you can teach it easier, you can play it easier, and then you can just get into the theme of the game, which is really good. Empires of the Void is a great game, you know, really colourful, cool little light space game if you don't want to invest in one of the, like, major epic ones like Exodus, Proxima Centauri, or Twilight Imperium. Notice I didn't include Eclipse on there because Eclipse I don't class as a massive epic space game. That's just balance your checkbook in space, but that's for another day. Um, so it it's such an exp- essential expansion that I just say that if you are going to buy Empires of the Void, you must get this expansion. You must, must get it. That is why it makes my number one. Lords of Waterdeep Scoundrels of Skullport is a brilliant expansion, but you did not necessarily have to buy it in order to fix the original game because the original game is still good. But I just think it upped the game to such a great level that it's worth getting when you buy it. So that is why that made my number two. This one, though fixes so much that was anything that was wrong in the base game this expansion fixes now you've got a really quality light spacex game that doesn't really have many flaws to it it just fixed everything that was wrong with the base game and that is why i would class this as essential 
you should not buy Empires of the Void if you have no intention of printing out this expansion. You don't even have to laminate it like I did. Just print the stuff out. And there's not a lot to print. You've got, if you go on their website, you've got four races, which was like a sort of race pack thing. You've got the tech tree charts, which are sort of A5 size, you know, they're not particularly huge. You've got a 20-page rule book, which is written so much better and very easy to read and use. So, again, 20 pages, you know, laser printer at work will do that quick enough for you. Hint, hint, that's what I did. And it just works so well. If you've got a cheap laminator, and they are cheap, you can get a decent one for 15 quid and it'll do the job for you just fine. Then laminating those tech tree boards and the extra races again ups the the sort of you know the production level of the game really good and they still look great they're still the same design so don't think that just because it's print and play it nerfs the game up in that respect it still looks great and I don't like I say there's only so much I can say it just fixes what was wrong with the original game and makes this game a great contender for one of the best base games that there is out there. So, Empires of the Void, key to the universe, an unexpected number one, but trust me, if you are getting Empires of the Void, you need this expansion, number one. So there you have it, that's my top 10 essential expansions to games. This list will be processed on Board Game Geek as a geek list in the near future, but obviously I prefer that you listen to the podcast and get my views on each expansion rather than just looking at the list because the list will literally just have the list plus maybe a comment about the game. But a detailed view, you need to listen to this podcast to find out more. But um, I'm not sure what the next top 10 will be. I'll put it to a popular vote. I'm probably not going to put filler games on the list because that's been getting very few, if any, votes at all when I've done it. Overrated games came close to extensional expansion. So what basically what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to put three choices out. Whatever is the top voted one, I'm going to use. Whatever the second place is, I'm going to put it on the next vote so that people can potentially put it back on again. And whatever was last, I'm going to take off the list and maybe bring on at some point in the future or just think of something else because obviously it wasn't that popular. So that's going to be the format for when I do it. Keep an eye on the podcast and blog section of Board Game Geek for when I post the voting poll up because they only last for a few days when I do it. So there's only so much time to get your vote in and get what you want to listen to on the podcast. But again, like I said at the start of this podcast, content is coming back. It has been a bit slow for the start of March, and I do apologise. I think I just wore myself out and hit burnout when I did co-op months. So that's why I'm stopping doing themed months now. I will do little themes every now and again. Like like I said, I've got Fruity Ages, and everyone likes to compare Fruity Ages to Nations. So there's a little theme I can take there. But that's like one-off themes. I'm just talking about not doing month themes where I have to put in so much work to get it done. Bearing in mind, I have a full-time job as well and a social life. You know, so... It's not easy for me to get all this stuff out to such a great extent as something like the Dice Tower or all those US podcasts. So I have to balance my life out. And obviously doing those themed months was just setting my life completely out of balance. So, yep, content is coming, but I'm going to try and keep it to a steady... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, 
a steady supply of reviews and unboxings and how to plays, you know, especially with the new equipment because I had to wait for that as well. I didn't want to do loads of videos with the old setup because I wasn't happy with it. Now that I'm happy with the way this camcorder and microphone works, I can now start putting up more videos on the site. So I'm going to start recording and editing those as time goes by. So good things to look forward to with the Broken Meeple podcast and blog in the future. But for now, I'm going to head off because I'm due at an RPG session with a friend for Legend of the Five Rings. I don't mind RPGs, but this is probably the last one I'm ever going to do unless somebody really does a good job of talking me into them because I'm starting to go off the uh, committing part of it. I I hate the fact that on certain times I have to be there for many hours to do this particular storyline. I prefer board games to RPGs now. But it's a good laugh and I get to see some friends who I don't see very often, so it's all worth it for that extent. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to episode 14, Know Your Limits. Thank you for your support in giving me useful constructive comments for how to improve this i have taken some of those on board and i appreciate any feedback and useful constructive advice for improving the podcast and the blog but for now have a great sunday it's a good day outside looking out the window so i say if the sun's out where you are get outside get down to the beach or something and make the most of it while it lasts that's it for me luke hector this is the broken meeple podcast and i'll see you soon You've just been listening to the Broken Meeple podcast. You can find the editor of this podcast, Luke Hector, on many forms of social media. Find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash thebrokenmeeple. Find me on Twitter at thebrokenmeeple. Find me on BoardGameGeek as Farmer Giles, F-A-R-M-E-R-G-I-L-E-S. And you can also find me on Google+, Plus, where I share a lot of photos for the games that I have been playing or storing or preparing for reviews. You can also find the blog on Blogger under The Broken Meeple. Just do a Google search and you will find it easily. Thank you for listening to The Broken Meeple podcast. Keep enjoying playing games and I hope to play some games with you soon. Take care.